the universal call to holiness. Let's journey together on this Catholic Corner and talk about it. Welcome to the Theory to Action podcast, where we examine the timeless treasures of wisdom from the great books in less time to help you take action immediately and ultimately to create and lead a flourishing life. Now, here's your host, David Kaiser. Hello, I am David, and welcome back to the Theory to Action podcast and to this special segment we call The Catholic Corner. Because faith and the supernatural life must be integrated with our regular life if we are to live a flourishing life. And that's what we're all about here at the Theory to Action podcast. And especially, especially if we are Christian and more especially if we are Roman Catholic. We can't put that Catholic faith in the corner like so many people have done over the last 50 to 75 years. We must pull it from the corner of the room and make it central to our lives, integrating it with our mind, our body, and our heart. Now, if there's one concept within Christianity and more specifically within the Roman Catholic tradition that is ushered in more clarity in the last some 60 years, I would say, than this universal call to holiness, I don't know what that idea or concept is. Now, I'm sure someone will often offer an argument for some other concept or idea, but this universal call to holiness that came to maturity in the Second Vatican Council in the mid-1960s, I will stand by, will be one of the most profound ideas that historians will write about some 100, 200, 500 years from now. So with that, let's unpack this nugget of wisdom that's called the universal call to holiness. And we know from past ecumenical councils, there are major takeaways from those councils. Let's list some of those popular councils and their hallmark ideas. For example, we have the first council of Nicaea, which was conducted in 325 with some of its 318 bishops, and this council we owe the Nicene Creed. Another major council was the Council of Ephesus, held in 431 AD, with some over 200 bishops that were present, and it defined the personal unity, the true personal unity of Christ, and also declared Mary the mother of God, the Theotokos. Then just some 20 years later, we have the Council of Chalcedon in 451, where Pope Leo the Great, along with some 150 bishops, defined and explained that Christ did have two natures, both human and divine. And maybe just two more examples to round out history here a bit. In 1215, we have the Fourth Lateran Council under Pope Innocent III. In attendance, we had the patriarchs of Constantinople. A big deal at the time because some 250 years earlier, we had the schism between East and West. And also, we had the Patriarch of Jerusalem, along with some over 400 bishops and 800 abbots from all across the world. 
the council condemned the Trinidentine heirs of Abbot Jochum and published over 700 important reformatory decrees. Not to put a fine point on all this church history with ecumenical councils, one of the most celebrated councils in church history was the Council of Trent, held from 1545 until 1563. Yes, indeed, it it took them a long time to sort out the mess that was the church and what the church was dealing with in the world at the time. I believe it was interrupted some three or four times because of rampaging armies and something of the sort in addition to the council that it spanned some five papacies. We had five popes throughout that whole Council of Trent. So actually, we should probably just do a Catholic corner specifically on the Council of Trent. It would be fascinating to dig deeper into those details. I'm sure someone wrote three or four books about it. We can dig into it. But there was everyone within the known Catholic world in attendance at the Council of Trent. It obviously... If you know your world history, it examined and condemned the errors propagated by Martin Luther and other reformers and issued drastic reforms of its own Catholic Church. Now, interesting note here, it was the longest lasting and issued the largest number of dogmatic and reformatory decrees than any other of the councils in history. In addition, almost all historians say that it produced the most effective results of any of the ecumenical councils in history as well. Now, we could keep going just to cover all some 21 ecumenical councils in the history of the church, but I think you understand the context and the setting where we are putting ourselves in world history and more importantly in salvation history. So with all that backdrop backdrop and content or context and setting, let's examine the Second Vatican Council and what it said about this call to holiness, this universal call to holiness. Let's read from the Vatican II document, Lumum Gentium. Going to the document, quote, The Lord Jesus, the divine teacher and model of all perfection, preached holiness of life to each and every one of his disciples of every condition. He himself stands as the author and consummator of this holiness of life. Quote, be you therefore perfect, even as your heavenly father is perfect. That is a reference from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew five forty eight. Indeed, he sent the Holy Spirit among all men that he might move them inwardly to love God with all their heart, with their whole soul, and with all their mind and all their strength. That's a reference to the Gospel of Mark twelve thirty, And that they might love each other as Christ loves them. That's a reference to the Gospel of John thirteen thirty four and fifteen twelve. Going back to the document. The followers of Christ are called by God, not because of their works, but according to his purpose and grace. They are justified in the Lord Jesus because in the baptism of faith, they truly become sons of God and shares in the divine nature. In this way, they are really made holy. Then too, by God's gift, they are most hold 
they must hold on to and complete in their lives this holiness they received. They are warned by the apostle to live as to become saints. It's a reference to St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians 5.3. It goes on, and to put on God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That references St. Paul's letter to the Colossians 3.12. And to possess the fruit of the spirit of holiness. A reference to Galatians 5.12 and Romans 6.22. Since truly we all offend in many things, we all need God's mercies continually. And we must all pray daily, forgive us our debts. A reference to James 3.12. I'm sorry, James 3, 2, chapter 3, verse 2. Thus it is evident to everyone that all the faithful of Christ of whatever rank or status are called to the fullness of the Christian life and to the perfection of charity. By this holiness, as such a more human manner of living is promoted in this earthly society in order that the faithful may reach this perfection they must use their strength accordingly as they have received it as a gift from Christ. They must follow in his footsteps and conform themselves to his image, seeking the will of the Father in all things. They must devote themselves with all their being to the glory of God and the service of their neighbor. In this way, the holiness of the people of God will grow into an abundant harvest of good, as is admirably shown by the life of so many of the saints in church history, end of quote. So in those two paragraphs, we have a rich, very rich, and very deep teaching. But let's dig in even deeper to what this concept is, this universal call to holiness, and what it means on a personal level, a personal level, rather. Now, we have just had all those references to the Holy Bible, and yes, at some point in time, we will look through the lens of this universal call to holiness and how it applies to big things and big ideas for the whole world. But for today, let's narrow our focus on just us. How does this teaching apply to our notion of living up to and in human flourishing? How do we manage, how do we merge and understand these two concepts to live up to our standard in our lives? How do we apply this biblical teaching to our daily lives? Now, to help us on our path as a guide of sorts, we have a wonderful book. The title is You Can Become a Saint by Mary Ann Budnick. This book was written way back in 1990, but its themes and examples are still applicable today. I read it back in the year 2000 and have since grabbed it off my bookshelf dusted off the, or knocked off all the dust, the cobwebs, flipped through it and remembered how wonderful of a resource it was to me early after my baptism in 1998, Easter of 1998. Now I will say at the onset, I have the physical copy, like I mentioned, um, I have referred this book to others. They have gotten the Kindle version. I'm not sure it's the ideal uh, version. Um, I think those early books 
when Kindle came out, that conversion process from the physical to the digital copy wasn't perfected yet. I know some people have said, oh, the Kindle is not that good. They have since, um, it was still in print, so they went out and bought it. Now, there are many footnotes and other formatting issues uh, with the Kindle version. I'm not sure if it's readable or not. You'll have to do your own investigation. Um, now, certainly that's disappointing because it's a great book for all aspiring Catholics. And even even uh, Christians can pick up uh, some good notions, some good nuggets of wisdom. So speaking of inspiration and, and aspiring people, let me share a, a story from the beginning of the book to get us going down our path, path down the path of this little journey we're taking a, to discover this universal call to holiness. It's the story of a little girl. Let's start and read this story from page one. Quote, one day a little girl came home from school bursting with excitement. Mom, do you know that the church has to wait 20 years after a person dies before it can begin to see if that person is a saint? Before the mother could reply, the little girl continued enthusiastically. Well, I hope I live 20 years after you die so I can tell people that you were a saint. I'll get all my friends to lie about you. Is that okay? The little girl, like so many other people, has the mistaken idea that saints are superheroes. Saints are people like you and like me. They struggle to make ends meet, cope with illnesses, work every day, laugh, cry, take vacations, live married lives, raise children, develop friendships, and influence their environment while constantly and consciously struggling to grow in virtue. Saints are not born saints. They become saints, by the way. They live their lives. Right at this very moment, we have the opportunity to become saints. Our sanctity depends on how we use our free will to cooperate with God's grace, which is always there. In this way, we can truly decide the direction of our lives. Will we live them for God or for ourselves? Many people, when approached with this fact, grow uneasy. After an uncomfortable pause, the excuses begin, quote, well, if I were younger or if I were older or if I had a nicer temperament or if I were wealthy or if I didn't have so many social commitments and the excuses go on and on. Yet just as we marvel to see weeds and vagrant corn growing up through the pavement along highways, God's grace can penetrate into the hardest of hearts and into the most difficult of situations. Recall the stories of St. Paul, St. Augustine. God's grace is sufficient for us to achieve sanctity. All we need to do is to cooperate with his grace so that our wills become one with his, end of quote. So looking back at what we just read, that little girl was on the right track for a youngster. But let's unpack more of what it means to be a saint for us adults. Because this book offers us a great quote from Father Laurenti. Let's go on back to the book. Quote, when we talk of holiness, we could say that this particular individual did the same things 
that the others did, but he did it just a little bit better. He put forth a little bit more effort. He loved God a bit more ardently, or he was a bit more unselfish, or he rejected temptation sooner and more forcibly, or he took corrections with more humility, and instead of giving excuses, when he was accused, he showed gratitude and begged pardon more sincerely, or he spent more time before the Blessed Sacrament in silence, and in a more reverential manner, or he said, attended Mass with more devotion, and received Holy Communion with more fervor. The list is endless. End of quote. And indeed, the list is endless. So it's not a complicated formula to become a saint. And it's certainly not impossible to reorient our lives to this way of thinking. But what it does do is require us to get our priorities right and constantly reevaluate what our priorities are from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, and in fact, all the way back to moment to moment. And from the Bible, we have two wonderful quotes from our Lord about this, both from the Holy Gospel according to John. Quote, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. John fifteen ten, In the next quote, you are my friends, if you do what I command you. John fifteen fourteen. Now imagine that. The God-made man came down to earth, and he called, our Lord called us, his friends. Friends of God, in fact. What a great hope for us if we actually follow his teachings. Now, it does always require us to understand that we are the creature and not the creator. So humility is a virtue we're certainly going to have to grow in to understand how to get our priorities right. But after we do that, the next question is how to begin. What's the plan to be a saint? Well, our book and Mary Budnick show us the way. Going back to the book. Quote, so how does one begin? The first step in becoming a saint is to have the desire, the willingness to make the effort, regardless of the personal cost or sacrifice. Christ's redemption gives us all the potential for sainthood. The greatest obstacle on our part is our lack of desire. Laziness, pride, materialism, sensuality can kill the desire God places in our own hearts. When our senses are in control of us rather than our wills or our intellects, we are blinded to higher aspirations. Our goal to become saints gets lost in the confusion of emotions and senses. Suddenly, we may think that we were born to shop instead of becoming a saint, or instead that we were born to become a saint. What a great little nugget of wisdom. So again, it's important to remember that these are not extraordinary items, but just a reorientation of the love and care that goes into our ordinary day of serving our Lord. And it should give us hope, I would think. It's certainly within our reach. I know it gives me hope. And let's face it, we all need God. We all need 
God's grace and God's overwhelming hope if we are to serve him better. Now, this book has so many excellent points in it and so many nuggets of wisdom that we could take a week of Catholic Corners to give the book its full and proper review. So we're just scratching the surface in this Catholic Corner. Now, I would encourage you, if you can get the physical book, because I'm not sure about the Kindle version. But in today's Catholic Corner, let us aspire to be saints, knowing that to strive to be a saint is not something usually of great feats. Perhaps they could be. God can certainly ask that of us too. But usually, usually, God is calling us in those small, ordinary moments of life to live with greater love and greater hope and greater care while serving him and our neighbor. And that is the call to holiness that our world so badly needs and ultimately desires. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this Theory to Action podcast. Be sure to check out our show page at teammojoacademy.com, where we have everything we discussed in this podcast, as well as other great resources. Until next time, keep getting your mojo on. Are you a voracious reader who yearns for a deeper understanding of your favorite books? Or perhaps you're a busy professional seeking to enrich your knowledge, but short on time. The Mojo Academy 2.0 is your perfect solution. Our revamped service now includes beautifully designed monthly written reviews and PDF format to accompany our popular audio reviews. These aren't just summaries. These are comprehensive and insightful explorations of each book, packed with the actual quotes from the book to enhance your understanding. With usually 69 pages per review, they are perfect reference tools to take your learning to the next level. Get your free Mojo Academy review in written format at teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes for that free link. Again, teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes, and you will see the link for the free written review. Get yours today.